what's up? Welcome to Running Things, a podcast by Tempo Journal. My name is Riley Wolf. I'm your host. I'm also the editor over at tempojournal.com and at Tempo Journal on IG. Episode three, we've got a really fantastic episode lined up for you today. I chat with Australian 800 meter record holder Katrina Bissett about her amazing 2019 season and also what she's up to right now, trying to stay sane and fit like the rest of us. A couple of things off the top though, before we get into that, new dates have been announced for the Olympics in 2021. Of course, the postponement announcement came through last week. Not a significant shift in dates. It's really basically moving everything forward 365 days. So July 23rd, everything kicks off and the games wrap on August 8th. I wanted to talk about Tempo Playlists. If you're a Spotify user, jump over there and search Tempo Journal in Spotify and you will find a bunch of playlists created for us and for you by running personalities around the world. So in a time where a lot more of us are running solo rather than in groups, it's helpful to feel a little bit more connection to the running world. So you can jump on there and listen to playlists created for you by the guys at Good Vibes Track Club in LA or by Enbro in Copenhagen or Berlin Track Club. Um, Australian Olympian Morgan Mitchell has created a playlist for us. Nike trail athlete David Laney has a nice little playlist in there as well. So we'll be adding a bunch more stuff in the coming days, coming weeks. If there's anyone in particular you want to hear a playlist from and you want to see what they're listening to and maybe share a playlist, please let us know and we will get in touch and make it happen. I also want to take a moment to shout out all the healthcare workers out there who are doing such an amazing job on the front line while we are all stuck at home and complaining of being bored. These guys are risking not only their health, but the health of their families by being out there day in, day out. So if you have a healthcare worker, whether it's a nurse or doctor or somebody else who works in that space in your network, please take a moment out of your day today, send them a message, let them know that you're thinking of them and that you appreciate all the fantastic work those guys are doing. All right, I'm joined now by someone I find incredibly interesting. She is the queen of the 800 meters in Australia, the undisputed queen of the 800, joined now by my friend Katrina Bissett. Katrina, thanks for your time today. No worries. Thanks for uh, It's always good to talk to the peasants. <laughs> um, <laughs> doing my royal duties. Just doing. <laughs> um, hey, talk me, talk me through your day. What's been going on? Uh, so I had my long run this morning. So just the the traditional Sunday morning long run. Um, and uh, yeah, I just ran with one of my training partners, and we maintained our one point five meters nice. <laughs> distance from each other. Um, yeah, and then I've just had lunch and now I'm just chilling out at home. What's the, uh, what's, what's a long run look like for you? Um, it really depends. Like I, I do long runs for probably like 95% of the year I'll have a Sunday long run. And then if I'm in like peak, peak training, um, I'll just, I'll do a track session on Sundays. Um, so my long run is usually anywhere between, like 45 minutes to up to 90 minutes if I'm like in the middle of winter. Um, so it'll be maybe like 12 to 16K, something like that. And it's pretty chill. Like I don't, I don't take it like, like a session, like a lot of distance runners do. Like the long run for me is just like an extended recovery run. Sure. Um, now we were chatting last week and I think you posted something on Instagram as well. 
How's altitude tent life? Talk talk to me about that. <laughs> so this is my first time doing anything altitude related. So I um, initially planned to go to Flagstaff um, in Arizona um, for the month after nationals. And I, I think most of the Australian distance running community were going were gonna to be there as well. Um, but obviously now I can't do that. Um, so I thought, like this would be a really good time to see if my body, to do some experimenting, you know, and see if my body responds to altitude when there's not really much um, at stake. There's not much to lose at the moment. Like I've got another 15 months until the Olympics. So it's like one of those silver linings of the postponement is that you do get this bit of time where you can experiment and like try all the things that you've been putting off. Um, so I'm sleeping in it. Uh, yeah, like 10 hours a night and just um, having a few hours in the tent um, during the day as well. So I'll be doing this for a month. Yeah. And so how do you, like, how do you feel in the morning? Is it, is it weird sleeping at altitude? How do you feel when you get up? I feel pretty fine. I'm a really deep sleeper. I'm really lucky that I don't have a lot of issues with sleep. Like I can pretty much sleep anywhere at any time. Um, and um, the only really thing is that you get a really dry mouth. I don't really know why, but um, I think because it's quite because you're stuck in this like recycled air because you're just trapped in this bubble. Um, you get a bit de- dehydrated. Um, so that's that's the biggest thing that I feel. Um, and then I measure my like oxygen percentage in my blood using this little device that is just like this little infrared measuring laser thingy. Um, and then I do that and I record it and I'm working with the Athletics Australia physiologist, um, and he's guiding me through this process. Um, and and I'm recording all my data and stuff for him. Wow. Yeah. So it's, I guess the biggest difference is that, um, cause I live with my partner and, um, he doesn't want to sleep in the tent (laughs) because it's really noisy and he doesn't, um, like noise and, and he's not like me. I don't really, I don't really get bothered by it. But so he's sleeping on the couch with our dog. Oh wow! Okay. <laughs> and so I feel like I'm sleeping really well because, yeah. <laughs> because I'm not being woken up by the dog moving around or like him moving around and stuff like that. So um, man, I, I can't believe he's like he's giving up the gains though, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, apparently, if you don't really do it properly. Um, it can be actually just, you know, depletes your iron stores and not, not a great experience. So he's just like, no, no, thank you. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's okay. That's fair. What about in, in terms of your training, obviously you would have sat down with Fort over the last couple of weeks and like, uh, I guess once the postponement was official on national championships and, and how has, how has all this kind of adjusted what you're doing week to week now from a training perspective? Um, well, the tent hasn't really affected my training, but we've gone into, yeah, definitely a base base um, training mode now because we've got a lot of time um, until the next races. Like I definitely want to do um, some international racing if the Diamond League sort of kicks in again in sort of August, September maybe, but that's all really up in the air. And um so yeah, now is the time to work on my aerobic base. So I'm, I'm doing a lot more longer, longer reps, um, more at sort of 1500 meter pace or threshold pace. 
um, and a bit more mileage. So increasing my mileage gradually each week. Um, yeah, and I, I, I really actually feel really, you know, I like this kind of training. Like I've, I don't really, I haven't really had this kind of training in about two years because last year was such a long season. <laughs> so I was kind of track work all year, and then. And then I was injured for the, um, the, the last few months of the year. So I, I never had that opportunity to get back into base work. So I'm actually really looking forward to this little bit of, little bit of time um, to work on that. Hey, speaking of last year, it's a, it's a good place to, to kick off the conversation. We were just chatting uh, before we jumped on air about your 2019 and the fact that we first we met for the first time the week after you broke two. So you had an amazing little period there where you won nationals and then the week after, I don't remember what the meet was. It was some like uni champs or something, but you basically ran solo for a sub two, first time breaking two. Um, like so much has changed for you in that last 12 months. How, is it something that you like, do you keep perspective of that? Do you think back to that time and like how much has kind of gone on for you since then? Yeah. I mean, I think I've, it's really taken me a year to process what happened like in that season and, and, and in that domestic season in particular. Um, I think at the time I really didn't understand what I had done and what it meant. And even now I think, I think of like, the like even having run faster than 159 now but thinking of doing that completely solo I think it's the weirdest thing I've ever done like <laughs> I just honestly don't understand how I actually did that like it, <laughs> it seems so bizarre um to run solo sub two minutes for the first time um like usually people run sub two for the first time in a um in a bigger race and um, sort of get dragged through, but yeah, no, it's definitely, it's definitely very strange thinking back a year ago. Cause I, like I said before, like this, I feel like I'm a completely different person. Like I feel like a year ago I was an architecture student who had a very serious obsession with running. <laughs> um, but now I'm, I'm a professional runner. Like that's what I, my, like my identity has changed. Um, and I, I think it really took 12 months for me to have that shift, um, of my self-perception. Yeah. After going sub two in mid April, did you and, and Fort sort of think, okay, well there's, there's more to get here. There's like, Hey, we think we can go, we can go even quicker. Was that sort of in your thinking or was it just like, Hey, whatever happens for the rest of the season is a bonus. Like how did you approach that? Um, I think, yes, definitely. Like my training was improving as well. So we were thinking, you know, it makes sense. Logically makes sense that I should be able to run faster if I'm in a faster race. Um, and there was, you know, um, more incentive and, and I was better prepared, but like Fort's also quite realistic that, um, I think a lot of people in Australia expect if you go to Europe, you're going to run fast. Mm. Um, but Fort was kind of like, it's actually really, really difficult to run fast in Europe, um, often Australian season. And especially because this will be my first international racing I've ever done. 
Um, like he was, you know, we, I had, you know, quite measured expectations that it's going to be really hard. Like, it's not going to be this easy thing of like, yeah, you've run solo 159. Of course you can run faster if you get into a, you know, a hot European race. Like, it's not, I I feel like, um, Fort was very much like, you know, it's not that simple. It's like, he's like, I'm going to be proud of you no matter what. Like, it's, it's just going to be an achievement in itself to go and race overseas, no matter what happens. Now, I, w- I won't dwell too much on on the national record in London because I think you've you've probably talked about that so much already. Who was the first? Who was your first phone call to after you broke the record? Oh, it was Fort, of course. It was my coach. Like, talk um, talk me through that. Yeah. So I I um I mean I think it was I don't know what time it was in Australia. I think it was a pretty ridiculous hour. I think it might've been like 2am, um, or something like that. And I think it was just Fort and my boyfriend who had stayed up to watch. And, um, yeah, so I just, I called Fort as soon as I had the chance and, um, yeah, I mean, he was just his like calm, lovely self. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I think that's one of the best things about him is that he's just so consistent like he is, um, no matter who you are or what, whatever you do, good or bad, he is always consistent. He's consistently kind and, um, and yeah, and, and measured. And he's obviously was super, super proud and super happy, but you know, (laughs) he was still mega chill about the whole thing. (laughs) And I, I imagine given like the trajectory your year went in and, and all the amazing stuff that happened, I imagine it's really important to have someone like Fort who not only has been around forever, right, and he's seen it all and done it all, but who is so, like, calm and composed to kind of guide you through it all. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's it's athletes, you, you kind of start feeling like you're running for other people. Like when you get quite intense characters um, in your life, like you you feel like, um, there's a lot of pressure that if you, like you doing well, um, is, is helping other people around you. But I've never really felt like with Fort, like whether that's like status or financially or, um, you know, just like, you know, like some, you know, especially younger people sort of rising their ranks and that sort of thing. Um, I think you can, like athletes can get a lot of pressure piled onto them, um, to run for external reasons, not just to run for themselves or run for, you know, the love of racing and being a competitor and that sort of thing. So it's been really, really amazing to have, um, a coach who's there for me (laughs) as a person. Um, not so much, you know, he doesn't care if I win or lose kind of thing. It's, and that's the same with my, with my boyfriend, like we, we've been together for like six years and he knew me way before any of this running stuff happened. And, and um, he's the same. It's like, if you win or you lose, it's like, he's happy for me anyway. Um, so I think it's, yeah, absolutely. Like you're saying, it's extremely important, especially for a young, a young athlete like me, who's just sort of getting, finding my feet, um, to have that, you know, unconditional support in the background. Because like, there's no kind of forewarning or no instruction manual or no like no great <laughs> signs that this is going to happen, right? Like no one is prepared for this 
and it's it's unfair to call your success like overnight success, right? Because you worked, you know, for so many years to get it, but it's kind of on you all of a sudden and then you have mm. to deal with it. How do you deal with that pressure that you talk about? Um, I think it's I think it's really interesting athletics like running as a sport because like you're kind of dealing with thresholds. Like I feel um like these sort of overnight successes happen so much in athletics and you have these breakout seasons and things because like you can be just on the outside of, you know, like I was running 203, 205, like like really decent, like very good times, but no one knew who I was and no one was really paying attention. But as soon as you break that threshold of like two minutes of 159, it's like um, – suddenly all the doors are open to you kind of thing. Like it's just one of these sports that you have a qualifying time. And then if you achieve that time, it takes you to the next stage. Whereas like, and so it's these real, this real thing of like breaking through barriers, um, which I think is very unique and very intense because it's like, you don't have a smooth transition. It's like, all right, you've run 203, now you've won, run 158 and you're completely different human beings at those two different times and you have completely different opportunities um, at those two different times. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's extremely unique um, to, to athletics. Um, but, yeah, I think pressure-wise, um, I don't know. I think the way that I best deal with it is... is um, focusing on my life holistically so really focusing on my study and my relationships and um like I like I love training like training is far more enjoyable to me than racing 99% of the time um and I guess that's sort of how I deal with it just doing like doing things day by day and taking them as they come of all the athletes I speak to you are like perpetually busy you have, <laughs> and and that's not like the lifestyle that I imagine a lot of athletes have. But you are just you've. Uh, I, yeah. I think I think you recently might have stopped working, but you're obviously studying, working, training. You know, doing all that stuff. How does that does that help you like keep some sense of normality when you've just all of a sudden become an elite sponsored athlete? Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think a lot of that comes from me still trying to figure out how to be an athlete um that sort of constant busyness um because I'm still because up until um you know six six eight months ago um running was absolutely not a viable career path for me um like I was working towards finishing my master's and it's like I I still am trying to do that um so I guess it's that sort of trying to keep all these things happening in my life um, still keep them all going, like sort of changing the intensity of the different things, but making sure that everything is still there. Um, I guess that's sort of why I'm, (laughs) and, and I guess it's, um, it's, it's, it's interesting this year now that things have all changed with the Olympics being postponed. Like I had a really intense plan of how this year was going to go. And I did a summer subject so I could get one of my uni subjects out of the way um, so I could still retain a um, part-time enrollment um, and like working over the summer as well because I love my job and I love my colleagues um, and that's just something I take a lot of pleasure from. And yeah, and then now having the Olympics gone, 
I'm in a bit of a strange place <laughs> where I'm still working on the um, on the on the study and that sort of thing. But yeah, my my plan is all kind of out of out of whack. Like I like I if I knew that I would have had more of this time, like I would try and cram more of my study in and try and get that out of the way so I had more more time in the second half of the year and yeah I guess it's just it is it is a big constant juggle but it's I guess just a symptom of um yeah having this all thrust on me very very quickly you've you've like we've often spoken about how you know there's been various points or maybe even still now where you struggle sometimes to to see yourself fitting into this athlete well, you don't see yourself as a professional athlete or you don't think that you sit necessarily like naturally in that in that life. I think a lot of people would be kind of surprised to hear that. Um, talk to me more about that. Um, I think every athlete experiences this in some degree. Um, I think, I don't know, I, I, I feel um, it's, it, it, you know, it's an extension of what we were talking about just then about having to readjust my sense of identity um, and and how quickly all of these things have changed. And then also um, being somebody who I guess I have a lot of values um, that may not be the most common values that, um, that are in the athletics community um, and being multicultural as well, I think, and coming from... <laughs> uh, yeah, just a, a sort of more mixed background. It's been hard to see myself, I think, in a lot of the athletes around me. And um, I've, I feel like I've really um, done a lot of work looking overseas and looking at a lot of other international athletes and, and looking at, at them as role models. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think it's been hard to see myself um, in the athletics community in Australia. Um, but I don't think that means that and and I think I, but that, that doesn't mean I don't belong. I guess it's it's just it has been a bit of a challenge. I think just for me to re readjust the way I think of myself um, as being you know deserving to be here. Um, and yeah, it's it's hard to explain. Um, but I think I'm in a really good place now. Like I think. Um, I'm a bit frustrated that um, things have been postponed because I was really feeling excited this year to be to embrace this new identity that that I that I have and and to be really accepting of it. Like I felt like going into a few of these domestic races, um, like I knew I wasn't really quite ready yet, but just feeling so confident, <laughs> like feeling so just like like I belonged here and this was my space. This is like the track is mine, you know, like, and I was really excited to build off that feeling of, of, um, of no, of, of, you know, ownership. Um, and, um, but I mean, that's still something I can work on within training and that sort of thing too. You know, you haven't necessarily seen a lot of people like you in the sport, um, especially domestically. Do you feel like you're, you're doing something now for, you know, it's hard, it's hard to talk about the next generation because you are so young yourself, but you know, there are, there are probably kids out there or people who are 13, 14, 15, who probably have had the same thoughts as you. They don't necessarily see people in the sport that they can look up to, but maybe now they've got someone like yourself they can look up to. Do you kind of, do you feel that when you're, when you're out at races and when you're showing up to, to different events? Um, I think so. And I, I'd, I'd also like to say that 
I think I am seeing myself a lot more in the athletic community. I think it was just a lot of that stuff was below the surface. Um, I think, and like, especially being so open about my mental health experiences and that sort of thing, a lot of people might not be publicly like that, but when you start talking to, um, athletes, like there is so much in common, like everyone is really, um, there's so many points to connect to. Um, so, but, so, so having said that, like, yeah, I do, I do feel like, um, yeah, like I, I'm not really sure. I, I, I still think I'm in a process of, um, of um, thinking about this sort of stuff. But yeah, I, like I do like to think that I can um, be somebody who offers something else as, as to add into the mix of, of diverse voices that we have in the athletic community. Hey, can we, let's, let's talk about Doha a little bit. Um, I think I, I think the last time I saw you before Doha was maybe even the day you were flying. Do you remember we, mm, you had that yeah. last little sharpen up session at Collingwood, um, in the pouring rain, it was miserable. Um, <laughs> and, and I think we've spoken about, we've spoken about this day a few times. Like it was of all the times I'd seen you throughout the season, it was, you know, I don't know whether it was stress or you were just you just seem kind of flat. Um, it obviously had been a super long season for you. How, how was your Doha experience on the track, off the track? Like how did, how did you find that? Um, I found it extremely stressful. Um, I think that really, you know, showed in my performance as well. Like I was, by the time that I got to the start line, I'd had about eight weeks of rehab and cross training and, trying to manage like how I would portray my injury to others and, um, and how I would, how I was portraying it to myself, like how much I was willing to admit, um, how, how broken I was. And, um, cause I feel like when you're in that stage, you're like, you actually can't actually accept that you're injured. Like you just have to keep going. And, that sort of self-denial is so tiring, like this continuous just pushing and pushing and pushing when part of you is just like, I'm so tired. I really, I just, I know I need to keep doing this. And, you know, you never know what will happen. You never, you want to see what your body's going to do. Like you, like you never know. There were so many people telling me like, you know, X, Y, Z person, they ran, you know, they made the final when they had like six weeks of rehab and they only did, and you know, like <laughs> there's constant oh, okay. people telling me being like, just give it a try, you know, just try. And, um, and yeah, and still keeping that hope in my mind that my body was, was going to be able to, to, um, overcome, overcome this. But I think there was a, there was a lot of, a lot of dark thoughts there as well of just, I think the, the overwhelming feeling was like, it was a very exhausting experience, but at the same time, I would never, like, I don't think I would ever have um, done that another way. Like I have no regret regrets over that experience. It was, um, yeah, not, not how I wanted it to turn out, but um, I think I learned a lot and I think I, I learned where my limits are. Like, I think I, if someone said to me, you're going to run, you know, you, you're going to lose, you're going to come last in your heat and you're not going to make the semi, um, I would have said like, oh, okay, I, I guess I better not go. But like, I didn't, 
you can't do that. Like you just have to try anyway. Like you have to find where your your end point is. Um, yeah, I think it was a great learning experience. Did you feel a sense of relief when that was all kind of over? No, not really. I I was just really really sad. I just I was just like I it kind of really made me think about why I was doing this. Like sort of comparing myself to when I first met you until that point. Like when when we first met, like it was this kind of I was like giggling and <laughs> being really being being really like flustered and like not knowing how to be in a like a subject for a photo shoot and like um and you I remember you saying to me like like you you seem really different to all the professional athletes that I take photos of because I'm like you know <laughs> naive and like um excited and 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 you were like, oh, we'll, we'll see you in a few years' time, and <laughs> you'll be you'll be pretty different. <laughs> I remember the yeah. first like the first few frames of that those shots we took at the Melbourne Uni track. As you were like going through your reps, you had like a grin on your face. <laughs> like, no. I was so embarrassed. Like I didn't know how to deal with it, and like I mean, like I still don't really know how to deal with the attention and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I think I can't really remember what, what we're talking about anymore. So I was talking about comparing that to to Doha. Yeah, to yeah. how you like how you might have changed or how you felt after Doha. Yeah. So I guess I, what I what I mean is that like I lost that that you know excited about the world kind of feeling that I had in that first photo shoot with us and this feeling of like this was so hard. And I'm so tired and yeah. And then feeling like, is this what I want? Is this, is this like, am, could I do this all over again? And like, I think I really needed to have that experience to know that I do want to do this, you know, like to be like, yeah, I can feel that horrible pain, but you know, it's worth it. You know, <laughs> like it's, it's just part of the beautiful spectrum of you know this of, of emotions in this sport and 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 I feel like running and and I feel like that really contributed to how great and confident I felt coming into this next coming into 2020 and feeling like wow I'm just so grateful to be running fast to have this beautiful body that can do these things that I want it to do and yeah, I think it was just so important for me to have that period of questioning. Um, yeah, and I'm not going to be like real, you know, romantic about, you know, I'm not going to pretend that it wasn't awful. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to be like, yeah, you know, you pick yourself up again and then, you you know, it was, it was so awful. It was really, really bad. Um, and, yeah, and I think it's really important to talk about these times where you're just like, questioning everything of like do I actually want to be a professional athlete um and instead of just putting on a brave face kind of thing because I think everyone in their lives goes goes through those periods where they're like even like parents you know they're like oh my like when they have kids they're like did I really want this yeah I can um, imagine but that. of course you do <laughs> I didn't really want to get this conversation to go super deep but I don't know if I'm physically capable of not doing that <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, well let's let's um, let's make it lighthearted for a second. <laughs> you you did a bunch of travel last year. What what off the track? You know what what are some of your like best memories of 2019 of travel? I know you roomed with Morgan a bunch and you guys had a lot of fun. What was what was the best place you went to? Where did you have the most fun? Um, I think I I really enjoyed um, Belgium. So I stayed there for. Um, about two weeks with the Sydney Uni House. Um, so Sydney Uni have like a little European base every year. So they've got this program. Um, so if you're uh, a member of the Sydney Uni Athletics Club, you can stay in this house. And so you've got, you know, so many Olympians that um, stay at this house and travel around and go to meets in different countries in Europe and then come back to the house and train there. Um, and I thought that was great. Like I made some really, really good friends, um, with, with the athletes there. And it was just, I don't know, it was really homey, like a really nice sort of safe haven in this sort of crazy European athletics training, the racing sort of whirlwind experience. Um, and I remember like, my favorite part of running the record in London was that I was staying in that Belgium house and had flown to London to do the race. Um, and all of those athletes, there was maybe like a dozen of them, um, had gone to someone's house that they're like a the friend of a friend who had like this mansion or something in Belgium. And they were all like ha having like this lunch party or something. And then um, when my race was on, they all like went into the living room and were watching the race on the live stream on the TV and someone filmed them watching me. Um, and they sent me that video and it was just the most amazing video. Cause I, you know, crossed the finish line, they announced that I run, run the record and everyone's just clapping and laughing and just like so excited. And I don't know, I think it was my favorite reaction to that, to, to that whole experience. And yeah, I watch that video all the time. It's so nice. <laughs> so you are, you're part of Sydney Uni Athletics Club and also Melbourne Uni, right? Yes. So I did my undergrad in Sydney and I worked, so I, I lived in Sydney for five years after um, graduating high school. So I grew up in Canberra, I moved to Sydney and then I've now I've been in Melbourne for three years. So I had a, my old coach was the head of Sydney Uni Athletics Club. So yeah, so I'm, I'm still connected to, to both clubs. I mean, we're all, we're all upset that we're not seeing a national champs this year, obviously. Your event, the 800 is something I was really looking forward to because the depth, I, like the 800 must be the deepest um, race we have in Australia right now. Do you, do you ever, you know, you can't, obviously you can't be looking too much outside of your own performances, but is that something you're aware of, like the quality of the competition locally? Is that something that's kind of on your mind occasionally? Oh yeah, like I, I feel, um, I feel really privileged that um, we're all running together and we're all such lovely people. Like especially in in Victoria, we've got Morgan and Georgia, um, and and yeah, and we we get along so well, and we all really push each other. And like I train with Georgia every now and again. Um, and I love those sessions. Like I'm, I'm very much someone like, obviously I want to win and all that sort of stuff. But like, I think, I think it's like, I think I wouldn't have 
run as well as I did last season if I didn't have all those people around me. Like I think it's a really healthy competition. I don't think it is a toxic kind of like ego-driven sort of scene. Like I think not only is the 800 has, the women's 800 has so much depth, it's just, it's also very healthy competition. Like I think we really, really push each other. And like even looking at that London race, um, sure, I ran well, but we all ran PBs. Like me, Morgan, Carly, we all ran PBs, and that was it's it's still all for all of us our best race um, so far. And like I think that's and I think being able to share it with them and and to have all these people, it's it's really important. I think it's it's really I'm really lucky um, to to be part of this um, cohort. Was it important for you to get back to your training group? Because I know, as you said, before you went to Doha, you were doing a lot of rehab stuff and kind of not necessarily spending time with the group. And then post Doha, you had some time off and and then sort of coming back. So I think at, at one time you mentioned to me that you hadn't been around your training group for so long. Mm. Is it is it real? Is it important for you to have other people like to just bounce energy off and stuff during the season? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that's one of the hardest things about the social isolation at the moment as well. I think, I think all runners are feeling that of like, for me, my most of my socializing comes from training. Um, and when you're rehabbing or when you're traveling and, and that sort of stuff and you're doing that all by yourself, it's really lonely. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really like really pulls you out of your social routine. Um, and, um, yeah, I think like we always like you know running's an individual sport, but it's kind of not. Like it's really not. Like Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's like the training environment is so important and really really like contributes to um whether someone succeeds or not. Um yeah, I I I love my training group and Fort's done such a good job of um making it this really welcoming space like he's he always talks about how proud he is I feel like he talks about the how proud he is of the running culture more than the achievements of the athletes (laughs) um but um yeah we're just we're really really welcoming group like you know if anyone wants to join in with us they're more than welcome like we're not by any means like picky or elitist or anything like that. And I think that's really important to maintain. Did it feel, did anything feel um, different for you? Like around either of your sort of, well, kind of you had three, let's say three breakthroughs last year, right? Like winning nationals and then going sub two and then getting the record. Like, does it feel different than rocking up to training the next week and being like, okay, these are all the same people I train with and, they knew me as a 202 runner or as a 203 runner and now all of a sudden I'm the Australian champion. Like, is that strange? Um, I think it was for about five seconds um, and then you just fall into the same routine as always. <laughs> like, I, I, think, I think I distinctly remember after I got back from Europe um, and I sort of walked into training and everyone sort of, there's that sort of short pause when I'm sort of looking at everyone and they're all sort of looking at me and then immediately it's back to normal. Like it's, it's just like complete, just like, oh, hey, how are you going? Like there's just total um, getting back to normal. And like, and it's like my training didn't change. Like I still get dropped every second session by people in my group. Like I'm not, you know, suddenly 
amazing at everything all the time um, just because I've run this one time it's like you just fall back into the same routines like it's I, I don't feel any different. And I think that's I think that's a testament to how um, to our training culture. All right. Last question. What is something we don't know about breaking the Australian record, right? Like we see you come back, you do a bunch of media, maybe you get like a certificate or something. What's the what's the coolest part of being a national record holder that we might not know about? Do you get um, to go to like a bunch of breakfasts or dinners or is like is there anything <laughs> is there anything cool going on? I think I think it's it's um I think the easy, the biggest difference is that it becomes uh easily recognizable to non-runners. Um I think that's the biggest difference is that if I'd run 159.01 but hadn't broken the record it like I think I wouldn't I would still sort of really fly under the radar of general society kind of thing or sort of even sort of greater athletics society um i think it's it is a real easy shorthand for non-runners to engage with me as an athlete um which i didn't really realize was going to be the case um so now if i go to you know i've been invited to talk on panels and and that sort of thing and and always it's like katrina bissett the australian record holder and it's like it's such an easy thing for people to engage with um you know, it's like someone being an Olympian or blah, blah, blah. It's like a, it's just an easy gateway into understanding who I am kind of thing, um, which I didn't really think that would be so important with me engaging with non-runners. Yeah. Okay. As someone now, now I know you're studying a lot, right? So that's going to be your default answer here, but <laughs> as someone, as someone who, um, is spending a lot of time at home and whether that's in your little tent or outside of your tent, a lot of people are at home right now for more period or more periods of time than they're used to. What's your um what's your tip for people in isolation right now? Have you got a Netflix series? Have you got a book? What's what's the go-to? Um, I've got a lot I've got a long list of things I want to do. Um what, one of the Netflix things that um I've been watching is Mind Hunter. Oh yeah. Yep. Um it's like a like David Fincher drama series about um the, like in the seventies when they first started doing criminal profiling on like serial killers. And it's this like really slow burn kind of psychological thriller kind of thing. Like it's, it's not graphic. Like I hate graphic, like graphic violence in TV shows and movies. I can't watch them, but this is like, just, it doesn't have any, well, it has a little bit, but it's, it's really just more about the characters and their conversations um, is really, really good. Um, it's got great atmosphere. I know this show and it feels like a you show. <laughs> Absolutely. Because I'm like monotone and... <laughs> and <laughs> no, no. no. Um, and have also, lots of things wrong with me psychologically. All right, uh, all right. I wasn't going there. Um, you're... Uh, you're baking a lot too right now, huh? Yeah, I'm really into cooking. So I've been doing a lot more cooking. Um, yeah, I've been trying to just make all of my meals and um, getting, yeah, just like enjoying the off season in some ways and um, indulging a bit more in, in, in sweet things. Um, I also bought a sewing machine for Christmas. I got one from my mum and I really want to start making greyhound coats oh, for my dog <laughs> wow okay good good segue into plum how is plum? yeah 
Oh, Plum's really good. I don't think she really understands why we're home all the time, but I don't think she's fussed by it. I think she's pretty stoked. Um, but I really want to make her like like a vintage Nike tracksuit. Like I just want to do like a full like alter like a tracksuit and <laughs> yeah, I support that. <laughs> for, I think for, that's good for the Greyhound. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. But I've I've got to um I've got to learn how to use the sewing machine. So now I've got the opportunity. Yeah. So there's three things. Vegan baking, making dog clothes, and mind hunter. Wow, you got a <laughs> you got a full plate. Hey, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you making the time on a Sunday afternoon as well. Um, I will let you get back to the rest of your day. No worries. I'm gonna go have a nap. <laughs> I hope you guys enjoyed that chat with Katrina. I certainly always look forward to chatting with her and hearing her perspective on things. You can find her on IG at Katrina Bissett. That's all we got time for today. Episode three of Running Things by Tempo Journal. You can hit us up on IG, jump into the DMs with any feedback at Tempo Journal. Uh, you can find me at The Wolverine on IG or if email is more your thing, editor at Tempo Journal for all your thoughts, comments, and questions. That's it for episode three. We'll be back soon. Mm-hmm.